You are listening to a message from Parkway Church in Kurana. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you as you listen. If you'd like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, parkway-church.com. Good morning, everybody. Trust that you're doing well. It is nice to be a little warmer. I haven't known cold like that. The, the last time I felt that cold was in Moosonee, uh, way up in northern Ontario. Moosonee or Moose Factory, I'm not sure. It was 40 below, and if I would breathe with my mouth open, it actually hurt my chest. The air was so cold. Uh, it was late at night. I was there on a particular ministry thing. Stayed at the Polar Bear Motel. How appropriate was that? It really was a motel called the Polar Bear. They had electrical heating. I remember this well. And electrical heating, when it's on high, it really feels hot and dry. So I wanted to get the window open just a little bit, as you can imagine. It was so hot in the room. But because of the conditions outside and the hot conditions inside, uh, there was about two inches of ice over the window on the inside. I mean, it was really a strange. I felt like I was in an igloo. I really did. But it was cold last week. It's great today, and it's great to be with you. I share Pastor Michelle's excitement in terms of the arrival of Pastor Carl, or or Pastor Call, as you will call him. Uh, In a a month's time, actually, four weeks from today, God willing, I'll be with you. He'll be with you with his family, and we will formally install him as your lead pastor. So I share that excitement. Your future is bright. I want to encourage all of you, and I think probably all of you are already at this place, to be behind him in prayer and support and enthusiasm and you will have a great future indeed, I have no doubt. I'm excited for you. Thanks again to everyone who was instrumental in, in bringing this about. The Holy Spirit, uh, working with your search committee, chaired by Bob, did such a terrific job. Thank you so much. We're turning our attention today to Mark chapter 6. If you have a means of turning to Mark chapter 6, I would ask you to do that. This is a great chapter of the Bible. Mark chapter 6 is, and I'm going to collect that because there's something written on this that I don't want to forget to share with you. Mark chapter 6, verse 45, if you could look at that today, that would be absolutely great. This is a great story that's been given to us from the life of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in the gospel of Mark. And just for your own information, Mark is probably the first written gospel that we have. It was probably written before Matthew and Luke and John, written somewhere 20 to 40 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that early. It's the shortest gospel. It's like the Reader's Digest content of the gospel. It's believed that when Matthew, Luke, and John composed their gospels, they referred to the gospel of Mark. Of course, they too were being led by the Holy Spirit in the construction of their accounting of Jesus' life and the events that would be selected for us to hear about. But Mark is also seen as a basis for that. It's believed that Mark was actually written uh, to Christians, to Gentile, non-Jewish Christians, who were suffering in Rome at that time. Jesus, as I said, had been raised from the dead. He had ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit had been given in Acts chapter 2, and the church began its life with Jesus by the presence of the Spirit, guiding it. The gospel, of course, as we read in the book of Acts, traversed, traveled to Rome. And it was believed at this time, when Mark was written, that it was written to a group of Christians who were having a tough time. 
Some of them, being Jewish Christians, had been expelled from their synagogue. And to be Jewish and expelled from the synagogue was never a good thing. It meant family division. It meant being ostracized in society. It wasn't good to be Jewish and kicked out of your synagogue, nor is it today. And it's believed that this was happening to many Jewish Christians at this time. Not only that, for Christians, both Jew and Gentile, some of them, it's believed, were being thrown into the den with ferocious lions. They were being served as entertainment for the masses in terms of being in these arenas with these ferocious creatures tearing them apart because of their Christian faith. You think maybe it's hard to be a Christian now in Canada. You wouldn't want to be a Christian in first century Rome when the Gospel of Mark was written to this suffering group of Christians. It's important that you keep this background in mind as we look at the story today in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. In Mark chapter 6, and and understand that when we look at the Bible, we just don't want to read one portion. We want to give consideration to that which precedes it, that which follows it. It's called the literary context of the story. And by referring to these things uh, before and after the stuff we're looking at, it gives us insight into what's going on in a clearer way. So in chapter 6, Right at the beginning, we see that Jesus is introducing in a very real way his disciples to the ups and the downs of ministry. And right off the start in chapter 6, we see the downs of ministry as Jesus returns to his hometown. And he's met with a lack of faith. People are saying, isn't this the son of the carpenter? We know this kid. We've known him since he was dedicated in the temple in Jerusalem. Who is this coming to our town? And it says, because of their lack of faith, Believe it or not, Jesus was able to do only a few miracles, only heal a few people. Now, for us in Corona, that'd be a pretty good day. For Jesus, the Son of God, it was kind of a losing cause. He was only able to heal a few people. There's an amazing relationship here between faith and healing. And by no means can we work up enough faith and force God to act. But there is a relationship between our belief, our anticipation, our acceptance of the presence of the Spirit and the ability of the Spirit to do the good work that the Spirit wants to do. But this was kind of the down of ministry, Jesus being able to only heal just a few people. And then following that, we see Jesus prepares and sends out his disciples on the mission to heal the sick, to cleanse lepers, to, uh, to raise the dead, to drive demons out of people, and they meet, meet great success. And this is the upside of the ministry. The downside being Jesus could only heal a few sick people, but now the disciples go in his name and enjoy great success. And that leads into the story of John the Baptist. Some of you would remember John the Baptist, born about six months before Jesus Christ was the forerunner, the one who prepared the way for Jesus Christ. They were related uh, through family ties as well in terms of Jesus' earthly existence. The story of John the Baptist, Jesus had said, That among those born of women, that is everyone who had ever been born or would ever be born, because we are all born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus put him up there. And when Jesus puts you up there, you're up there. John the Baptist, never anyone greater than John the Baptist. But look at his story. We find that he confronts the ruler of the day regarding that person's marriage situation. He ends up in jail, and then through a drunken party, not him being drunk, understand, a drunken party, a deal is made, 
and guards go to the prison. They cut off John's head, present it to a particular young lady at the party on a silver platter, and that's the end of John the Baptist. Definitely a downside of ministry for John the Baptist. Wouldn't you say? Getting your head cut off, not his better day. Although he was undoubtedly in paradise with God that day, so it turned out all right. But the downside of ministry, that in Christ's service, everything doesn't always work out the way that you would anticipate or hope. And then we come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. This is a big event. Jesus is teaching in the great outdoors. It's getting later. People are getting hungry. The disciples come to Jesus. They say, look at these people are starving. There's 5,000 men here. If you do the math, there were well over 10,000 people. Most of these guys would have had wives uh, and probably with them and children at, in that time. Well over 10,000 people. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you you yourselves. He actually emphasizes that. In the text in the Mark and Gospel here, it's emphasizing it. You, you yourselves do this. And the disciples say uh, something like so many months wages. I think it's eight months wages. Could not feed these people. You see, the disciples, they were wondering how to do it, but they were thinking on a humanistic realm. They were thinking, how can we do this? And, and the answer, of course, is they couldn't. We cannot do the work of Jesus Christ in our own power, by our own means. Jesus says, bring whatever you have to me. And so they bring the five loaves, the two fish. It, it, the language is interesting. It's actually communion language. Jesus took them and broke them and gave thanks for them, blessed them. Do you recognize that language? We see a precursor, a preliminary to the Lord's Supper itself which is rather interesting. As Jesus breaks them and blesses them, they begin to feed the people. And, and I'm guessing the miracle took place as they were feeding, as they were taking action, that the strangest thing happened that day. We just didn't run out. As a matter of fact, all of us had leftovers, referring to the 12 disciples. 12 baskets left, 12 disciples. It worked out pretty well that day. Then have to fight over the extra basket. One per disciple. Amazing upside of ministry. And now we come to our story in Mark chapter 6, after the ups and downs of ministry, and we see what's going on here a little clearer. And here's what it says. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him. Notice where they're going. It'll come into play in just a few minutes. To Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now we see in the Gospel of Matthew where this uh, story occurs that the people actually wanted to make Jesus king. He had fed them in abundance. They were stuffed. You know that feeling? My wife and I, whenever we go to a buffet, uh, we enjoy Chinese buffets. We really do. And I would say this if she were here. Don't think I'm talking behind her back. But we just overdo it. We just enjoy it so much. And it's tradition. We sit in the car. We look at each other. It's become a joke now. We've done this for 36 years of our marriage and say, oh, I ate too much. I am a beached whale this morning. That's what I, that's how we, this is how these people probably felt. Well, they wanted to make Jesus king. They, they wanted to uh, just rush him to the throne and make him king of that area. And perhaps this is why Jesus is in a bit of a hurry to get out of that situation. Because this was not his time to be made king. This is not the result he was looking for. So immediately... He makes his disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. This is a strong word. 
Jesus was not merely suggesting that they get into the boat and take a little trip over to Bethsaida. It wasn't, oh, fellas, it's been a long day. Uh, why don't you get into the boat? And Bethsaida's nice this time of year. Why don't you head over there? It's evening. It'll be peaceful and calm. And I would suggest you do this. That's not the picture here. Jesus is urging them. One of the versions of the Bible says Jesus constrained them. Get into that boat now. you got to get going to Bethsaida. Don't wait. Get going. Then it says, when, and he went up into the mountain to pray. So I want you to get a picture here of separation. Jesus on the earth. Literally, it says they were upon the sea. Jesus was upon the land. We have a real separation here. Jesus is not with his disciples. Then when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. There's that separation. So the disciples were out in the lake, about three or four miles in the middle of it, and it was dark. There was unknown territory here. They had gone, been told to go to a very specific destination, Bethsaida. There's a point on the map that you need to get to. This was Jesus' will for them at this time. Get going to Bethsaida, and Jesus is separate from them on the land. When evening came, they're in the middle of the lake. They're at the point of no return. Uh, either way is the longest distance at this point in time. It's not like they can easily come back. And here's what happened. Jesus is on the mountain praying. And here's what it says. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Jesus saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. This was a tough spot for the disciples to be in. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it was an unknown situation. They were in complete darkness. I, I don't know if you've ever been in complete darkness. You probably have. Uh, you're in somewhat of a rural situation here, some of you. I grew up in Scarborough, far from being rural, uh, but when I was 13 years old, we moved to the countryside. And I remember my first night in the countryside, I think it was the first night I had been in complete darkness. There were no street lights coming into my bedroom window. There was no uh, unnatural light or artificial light whatsoever. It was completely dark. And I was struck by the fact at how dark dark is. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's really dark. You can't see anything. And here they were in the middle of the lake, and there was at the very least an immense windstorm going on. And they're straining at the oars to get to the place that Jesus had told them to get to. Straining at the oars. It was an unknown situation. Not only that, they were feeling some pretty heavy-duty isolation at this point in time. It was just them. Remember, they're on the sea, a place of unknown danger. Jesus is secure on the land, praying on the mountain. They are isolated, and there was huge opposition against them. This is a strong word. They were straining at the oars, trying to get to the place that God wanted them to be. They were working hard. This word straining, the root of it actually means torture. They were being tortured by the wind. Now, in a few verses here, we're going to see Jesus come to them uh, at the fourth watch of the night. This was the Roman means of keeping time. They, it was somewhere between three and six in the morning. Remember the timeline here. When evening came, they were in the middle of the lake. So they had been out here from about six in the evening on the water. 
So maybe about nine hours or more, they'd been out there straining at these oars. They were being tortured by this. It was absolute agony. It would be so difficult going against the wind. I've probably mentioned it here. I'm not sure, but I'll mention it again. I, I love bicycle riding. I can hardly wait to spring to get the bicycle outside and to get out on it. Now, I pedal on it inside in the winter, and uh, it's dead boring. It really is. But when springtime comes, I'm really glad I did it. Let me tell you, when you're out on a bicycle and the wind is at your back, have any of you experienced that? It's like you're the best athlete in the world. You can be going along at 40K an hour, which isn't bad on a bicycle, and it feels like you don't even have a chain. There's no friction. You're just, woo, going along. When I first started doing this, actually, I took the bike down to Niagara-on-the-Lake, to Fort George, and there's a beautiful pathway right down to Niagara Falls. And so I got on my bike, and I started going down towards Niagara Falls. I knew it was 25 kilometers, and I got there in, in, in short time. I couldn't believe it. I thought, I'm not bad. I'm better than I thought. 25 kilometers in, in an hour or so, not bad. The path continues on to Fort Erie, another 25 kilometers. I thought, I can do this. I am feeling so good. So off I went, down to Fort Erie. I made a big mistake. I was hungry and thirsty by that time, and I had a big hamburger and fries and a Coke or something like that. And got, yeah, You know, this is not good for a great world-class athlete like me to do. So, you know, had all this gaseous, greasy stuff in my stomach and started coming back. Well, I had to come back another 50K. I had not taken the wind into consideration. Going down, the wind was at my back. It wasn't a strong wind, but it was a nice, gentle breeze just pushing me along. But now I'm coming back with my stomach full of junk and the wind at my face. It was the worst ride of my life. But you had to, I had to get there. I wasn't about to sleep on the Niagara Parkway. It just wasn't going to happen. Had to come back. The point being is when the wind is at your back, it's great. But when the wind is in your face and you're trying to make progress, it is torturous. And this is what these disciples were experiencing that night. But they wouldn't be alone for long. Jesus saw them. I want you to notice this. Jesus had night vision like no one else ever or has yet had. He had night vision. They're about three or four miles away from Jesus. It's a windy night. We don't know if it's stormy. We don't know if it's raining, but we know it's real windy. And Jesus sees them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the water. Not bad. Now, there's a miracle, but sometimes we focus on this miracle of walking on the water, which is good. Walking on the water is pretty good. You got the St. Clair River just out here, right? Said, Pastor Mitch, go take a walk on the river right now. You would have our attention. You really would. I have a feeling you would sink, freeze, and die and go to heaven in very quick order. This is a miracle, but there's a miracle before that. Don't miss it. When these disciples were, were doing God's work, Jesus had said, get going to Bethsaida. And they're struggling in that. Jesus sees them in their dangerous, unknown, tortuous situation. He sees them. And unless you're not getting the point, let me make it clear. He sees you today in the center of his will, doing his work, being his daughter, being his son, and perhaps being tortured by the winds and circumstances of life. 
It was important in the first century that Christians who were about to be torn apart by wild animals knew that Jesus saw them. It's important for you to see that today. He is aware of our situations, each and every one. Not only that, it goes on to say this about the fourth watch of the night. So somewhere around six in the morning, he went, uh, three in the morning, I'm sorry. He went, uh, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. That's kind of an interesting truth. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost and they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. And immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, or literally take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. Now there is a biblical understatement. They were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves. Previously, Jesus had fed well over 10,000 with five loaves and two fish, and they still didn't get it, and they were hardened in their hearts. So their, their faith was still developing. It's interesting where it says Jesus was about to pass by. Some authorities say, you know what that means? Jesus wanted them to cry out. He wanted that cry of help from them, that invitation to come into the boat. And so Jesus wants us to invite him into our boats, so to speak. That could be. There's another way to understand this. You might remember when Moses, way back in the Old Testament, wanted to meet God face to face. If I'm going to lead these people, who shall I say is sending me? And that's another interesting point here. And remember that God caused his glory to pass by Moses. In other words, it was a safe introduction to who God was. It's the very same word here in this story in Mark 6 and what we find back in the book of Exodus. Very same word that describes the divine reality. God, the Father, the Creator, Jesus, the Son of God, passing by. This was like a divine revelation to these disciples. But in their isolated state, state in that darkness, when they were straining with life, they did not recognize the one who they really needed to recognize, Jesus the Christ. May I encourage us today in our circumstances of life to recognize the one who has come to us, gets into the boat, he is in our boat, and the winds become peaceful. May it be so in your experience. So Jesus gets into the boat. It's interesting that in the Gospel of John, where this story is recorded, immediately they were to the destination that God had in mind. Immediately, it was like, boom, Jesus is in and They're through the storm. We're exactly where he wants to be, and that's wonderful. What I'd like you to also notice today here in this story is this. It says they're amazed. Their hearts had been hardened. They didn't understand. If they understood the loaves and the fish, I think they would have had a certain amount of confidence that they're going to be okay. Not only that, in Mark chapter 4, two chapters earlier, remember when they had been in a storm? They have been about to die, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. So they're not getting it. They're not remembering the faithfulness of God in the past. Let's remember that today. Let's just take a moment today to think back on God's faithfulness, so to be encouraged today and for the future. Here's what it says. When they had crossed over, notice this, in verse 53, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. Now, this is interesting, because if we go back a few verses, it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat 
go on ahead of them to Bethsaida. They didn't land at Bethsaida. There's no doubt that Jesus said, get in the, remember he's urging them, get in the boat, come on, let's go. Kind of like Pastor Midge urging the youth for the tube thing. You got to be there at 6, 601 won't cut it. It's the same intensity. Get into the boat, guys. What is concussion? Collusion, or not collusion, collision, right, what is that? It's the, so you're taking, what's it called again? Collision. You're taking collision tubing. That's not good. <laughs> May God be with you. Keep you safe. May there be no collisions with collision. All right. Sure. In Jesus' name, may it be so. Now, what was I talking? Oh, Jesus was urging them to get into the boat. Get to Bethsaida. Jesus gets in the boat with them. The winds die down. They end up in Gennesaret. They don't end up in Bethsaida. Sometimes the Lord sets us off on a certain destination, or we think he does. Circumstances arise, and we end up somewhere else, close to where the Lord was leading, but not exactly in the spot that we first thought. And in this case, I would think it was the wind and straining against the circumstances that took them to a place which was about five miles west of Bethsaida, namely Gennesaret. But let's take a look at something else. There's a bit more to this story. When they landed in Gennesaret, not Bethsaida, as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The disciples in the storm, they thought he was a ghost. They get to this other place, and he's immediately recognized. Sometimes those of us closest to the Lord, given our circumstances, we don't recognize his good work in them. May the Lord open our eyes. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Isn't it good that they ended up in Gennesaret and not just Bethsaida? Jesus said, go to Bethsaida. They end up in Gennesaret. Jesus has given you walking orders. They don't always complete the way that you thought they would. The circumstances of life, the torturous experiences, the straining at the oars, whether it be family or business or health, put us on a bit of a different course, a different destination. Because of these changing circumstances, we meet different people. We have different opportunities. We have newer neighbors than we thought we would or different neighbors, whatever the case might be. But it's all directed by the Holy Spirit within you. Because remember, Jesus saw them when they were struggling. He saw exactly what was going on. This was an important message for the new Christian who had been recently kicked out of the synagogue, that Jesus saw that situation. This was important, again, for those Christians who were about to be thrown into the arena with the lions for the entertainment of the populace, that Jesus was with them. And when he's in the boat, the winds settle down, and you get to the place exactly that he had already prepared for them. And it's important today on February the 3rd, 2019 in Corona, Ontario, that the people, the beloved daughters and sons of God, hear that Jesus sees you in that torturous situation. He sees you as you struggle against the winds and circumstances 
of life. He comes to you. He accepts that invitation into the boat, so to speak, which is your life, and gets you exactly to where he wants you to be. Amen? So with your brothers of the, and sisters of the first century, be encouraged by the word of the Lord today. He sees you. He's aware of you. He's acting upon those situations, even when they are darkness to us. Now, at this time, I would usually say, or in the past would say, I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not going to say that today. I want to say something else. I'm going to ask all of you to keep your eyes open and look directly at me. How's that? But I am going to ask some of you to raise your hands because I do want to pray for you. And that raising of your hand is just going to be an admission, an act of humility, that there's a bit of a storm going on. So I'm going to ask those that perhaps are feeling those winds of life, you're straining at the oars, that need to be reminded that Jesus sees you. Would you raise your hand and keep it raised for a minute if you can? Thank you. Just raise your hands. Heavenly Father, you see every hand raised today. More importantly, Jesus, you see the lives that the, those hands are attached to, that they represent. You see the struggle. You see the strain. Thank you, Lord, that you do see it. You're aware. May your people be encouraged today. May they have your wisdom to get to the exact destination that you've already prepared. Lead and guide them, I pray, O oh Lord, these dear people. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, would you please? Let me pronounce the blessing of God upon you. May the God of hope, this great God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you too may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. During the worship service, a sister named Kathy came to me and uh, felt that she had a word of encouragement from the Lord, and how should that be expressed? And I said, Kathy, why don't you tell me what it is, and I can share that with the people. And as, as Kathy shared this with me, where are you, Kathy? She's with the children. Well, somebody tell Kathy that I said this, all right? Here's what Kathy felt the Lord would impress upon his people today. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. Christ is coming soon. He's really coming. Might not seem that way, but he is, so be faithful. Doesn't that tie in well with the word of the Lord today? Keep stroking the oars. Keep pulling on them, going to the destination that Jesus has urged you to get to in the name of the Lord. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, this week, may this Lord equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he work in you what is pleasing to him. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen? Let's give thanks to God for a great morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's a balmy four or five degrees today. Go and have a picnic, a barbecue, something like that. God bless you.
thank you so much for listening to our message. We hope that it blessed and encouraged you. If you liked what you heard, we would love for you to come join us on a Sunday morning here in Karana at 10 a.m. at 551 Marie Drive. If you'd like more information on who we are as a church and as a community, you can visit our website at parkway-church.com.